Thanks for tuning in today to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. My name is Katie Chesney, and on Employment Notebook, we provide advice and insight into different strategies for the workplace. And today we are with Marnie Reed, founder of My Golden Handcuffs and Stilettos on the Glass Ceiling. And she brings a wealth of information and experience with her today, and we're going to jump right into the topic today, which is golden handcuffs. So could you tell us, Marnie, what golden handcuffs are? Well, hello, Katie. Thank you for having me, and um, hello, listeners. So golden handcuffs, it's not a term per se that I have come up with. It's been around for a while, but that term is simply referring to someone who is in a, um, a relatively technical job. They are doing well monetarily. Uh, they've you know, put a lot of time, perhaps a lot of training, perhaps a lot of education in, and yet they're not happy. So you've reached a relatively high level of success, and yet you feel that you should still be climbing and yet you're not and you've plateaued and you're just you're getting a little bit jaded. Mm -hmm. And do you find that this typically happens with individuals that are further along in their careers and they've gained a lot of seniority and other benefits that they don't want to give up or could it happen at a lower level with someone who's just getting started? I really don't know that someone just getting started could feel that experience because a lot of what golden handcuffs are is a monetary Mm -hmm. because you know, you once you've been in your job for probably about the first, you know, three or four years, you're kind of trying to just figure it out. You mm-hmm. know, you're trying to figure out what is my version of success look like. Um, you know, maybe you've had an idea of what that career will be, and then you get into it, and then a few years go by, and you realize, oh, well, this is exactly what I wanted, or you realize, oh, this this isn't at all what I was getting into. So usually, you see it around um, about ten years or more into the job. And it's usually more around kind of like the middle management area um, for people in the corporate environment. And then people, you know, if you're in sales, you see it around um, the time people have been in sales from anywhere from five to, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. So what is your personal experience with golden handcuffs? So I actually only realized about a year ago that I had locked myself into them. I've been in sales for around 10 years. I've had a lot of success. I got to a level of monetary as well as accolades that had come in where most people would think, okay, this person is stoked. They have it all. They're doing well. They're making great money. They're very well regarded. And I realized, you know, I wanted to do something outside of sales. You know, sales is great to get experience, to get really, really, really uh, in deep with, you know, what your products are, what the services are you know, the customer service centric point, the strategy point. But then if you're not revenue driven, which I personally am not, sales becomes kind of this double edged sword where you're expected to exceed every year because you're good. And yet it's not what drives you and motivates you. So I got to this point where I really, you know, I was petitioning the higher ups. I was, you know, I had found an inefficiency in the system. I wanted them to create a job where not only could we really, really enhance and improve upon our business model, but we could also save a lot of money and create a lot of money in, you know, the same position. And yet it wasn't being granted. And so that's when I started getting, you know, just really disillusioned and almost bitter where I kind of felt like, okay, so my contribution doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. This is really annoying me. Mm Mm-hmm. So what steps did you take to change that and to break out of those golden handcuffs? 
I think everyone has, you know, they call them these aha moments, right? Mm-hmm. And you can have them either on a personal level, you can have them, you know, at any given moment. You know, you could be walking into a grocery store tomorrow and, and have an aha moment about dinner, right? Mm-hmm. So my aha moment for realizing what I had done to myself and to my career and deciding to do the hard work to, you know, move past it was I was actually May of last year, I was sitting in the award ceremony at our global sales meeting and I was watching some of my colleagues who I'd worked with for years and who I really respected and really cared about and some of them were walking across the stage accepting their President's Club Award and this overwhelming feeling of pride that I had in them, of their accomplishment and then remembering what it felt like for me a few years back walking across that stage or remembering how hard I had worked for it and what my team and my mentor felt for it. And I realized, you know, I'm not done here. There's a reason why I've stayed with this division and this company so long. There's a reason why I get up every day and go through what I go through every day, you know, to make it happen. And that's when I realized, you know, there are a lot of possibilities, but you have to be willing to openly acknowledge to yourself what you've gone wrong. You have to be willing to fix it. And then you have to be willing to move forward no matter what that cost is, because there definitely is a cost associated. So when you were, after you had realized that there were things that you needed to do, how long did it take you to grow and develop into the leader that you needed to be to see a change happen in your career? So for me, it took about a total of two or three months. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, you know, literally as soon as we got home from a global sales meeting, I reached out to two of my mentors and asked for, you know, a call. And on those calls separately with them, I said, look, you know, here's what I want to do. I've decided I don't want to leave anymore. I was very open with the fact that I was building up stilettos on the glass ceiling so I could get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said, I want to stay. I know that I need to work on some things. Tell me what I need to work on. And so they gave me some advice. And, you know, so for some people, it's going to be a course that they have to do. For some people, it's going to be extra training. So it really just depends on the, the environment that you're in as well as the industry. You know, obviously, if you're an engineer and you want to move up, there's certain things that you have to do. So for me, it was really actually a pretty easy fix. But it was something that I had to continuously show that I was working on. And then I had to just, you know, start working more, you know, with my mentors and my sponsor at the company and just, you know, really show that I was invested and I was willing to do the hard work. So it was only about two or three months, I think. Now, you founded My Golden Handcuffs, where you help professionals kind of go through what you did to unlock their golden handcuffs and to find happiness and really push themselves to become the leader that they need to be to push their career ahead. And on your website, you say that the two main reasons that individuals who want to be leaders, but they aren't getting those promotions, and the first one that you mentioned is self-absorption. Can you tell us why you identified this as one of the problems that keep people from advancing? So self-absorption is just basically when, you know, you've attained a really good level of success where Mm -hmm. people within your division, people, you know, above you, your bosses, the leader, the executive leadership team, where they openly acknowledge that you are one of the best. And so unfortunately, you know, there's this great quote, I think it's from Spider-Man and it's, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Self-absorption is when you have created a very strong and powerful voice within your company, 
because of the accolades, because of the fact that the executive leadership team openly acknowledges that you're so good, because of the awards that you've won, the projects that you've done well on, the accounts you've brought in, you know, whatever your metrics of success are being judged in your division or your department, your voice becomes extremely powerful. And when you don't use that power for good, and so for instance, to give you an example of self-absorption, self-absorption is when the company decides to come out with a certain initiative and it's maybe not the best thing for you in your role, but it's the best thing for the company as a whole. And when you openly talk about how horrible you feel that that initiative is or you slam it or you know you fire off on conference calls or you openly don't help with something you know that's that's where you're you're so absorbed with this isn't about me it's not going to help me i know what's best how come i wasn't involved in this decision and you're really really actually hindering the company, and you're doing exactly the opposite of what you want to be doing, which is being seen as a leader. So do you have any tips for our listeners that feel that, you know, maybe their own self-absorption might be keeping them from advancing their career to kind of set that aside and really do the things they need to do to become leaders? Yeah, I would say the first thing is if, if you don't have a mentor, you have to find one. If you want to move up in your company, you have to have a mentor and you have to have a sponsor. And those are two different people. So I would first go find a mentor if you don't have one. And this person should be in your department or at least in your division, and they need to be in a position above you. And the reason being is they're privy to opportunities that are existing or coming on the pipeline that once you tell them your goals, they can pull you in and be a part of because the idea is you have to showcase what you're good at and what you can do. And so the second step I would say is, you know, shoot your mentor an email, give them a call. If you run into them in the office, ask them if you can grab coffee or lunch or if you can grab, you know, 30 minutes of their time and say, you know, I really, I've decided that I want to be more than an individual contributor and I understand there are most likely things that I will have to do to become the leader that everyone knows I could be, I'd like to have a conversation where we talk about this and you tell me what I can improve on. And then the most important part of this whole puzzle is that's going to be a really rough conversation. I think I got off the phone, both conversations, and I think I started crying a little bit after the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure is. Yeah, it's, it's personal. You know, if they're telling you things that are very, on a personal level, it's really hurtful. But guess what? It's harder for them to tell you because your mentor cares about you. That's the only reason why you should have picked this person. But don't take it personally. You know, I got off that call. I gave it about a weekend to think of it. And I emailed both of those gentlemen back. I, you know, two male mentors at the time. I said, thank you so much for having, you know, the courage and, and caring about me enough to have that conversation. I will work on it. And I listed off the things that they said I needed to work on and, and I immediately started. So I would say those are the three things that you can do to immediately start changing and breaking free of the golden handcuffs. Okay. You also mentioned that you should get a sponsor and that, that a sponsor is a little bit different from a mentor. Could you tell us a little bit about what a sponsor is and how you should approach them differently than a mentor? So the mentor is someone, um, and to quote, we had a phenomenal keynote speaker. Her name is Carla Harris, and she has a book out, and she talks about Carla's pearls. And she put it very succinctly. She said, the mentor is someone that you tell the good, the bad, and the ugly to. 
You know, they're not only your professional development coach, they're also your friend. You know, so when situation arise where, you know, you felt like maybe you didn't handle something that well or you want advice on how better to handle it, you go to them and you say, I think I might have messed up, you know, give me your advice. Or you go to them and say, hey, you know, I need to do a 360 review, which is where they pull a bunch of different people in your department and around you to, you know, kind of find out what your team feels are your, your weaknesses and your strengths. And you say, you know, help me do that feedback. So the mentor is someone that understands what you need to work on, what's not so pretty, and they help you pretty it, right? Mm -hmm. Your sponsor is someone who is actually at one of the top levels. So your sponsor is an extremely powerful person. This is the person that's in that closed-door meeting where the, okay, here are the X number of candidates for this promotion, and we're going to promote this person. They're in that meeting. Mm -hmm. And as the amazing Carla Harris succinctly put it, she said, your sponsor is someone that you tell the good, the good, and the good to. They're the person that knows your accolades. They know your successes. Um, they've seen you grow throughout the company, and they're high enough above you to where, you know, they've probably heard some things, you know, about what you need to work on, but they're so high level that really what they're looking at is they're looking at who has accomplished, who is continuing to grow, and who can help the organization continue to grow. And that's the person that you pick as a sponsor. And once again, that person you should also like and admire and respect. And they should also, you know, like you in return. No, the second reason that you list on your website for kind of getting stuck in these golden handcuffs is fear. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you chose that and how it prevents people from advancing? So I think there's several different levels of fear and there's several different fears that hold people back. And, you know, one of the fears that people have is the, you know, what if I can't do it? You know, what if I interview great? What if I do all the work and I get into this job and I fail? Because as humans, we inherently crave the comfort, the known. It's why, you know, it's why people stay in relationships for longer than they should when they're not healthy. It's why people live in places where they're not exceptionally happy, but the idea of moving and that change, it's scary. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work you have to do. There's a lot of cost associated with taking that next level up. You have to give a lot of things up. And there's the fear of, you know, I'm really good at what I do and I may not love it anymore, but at least I'm not failing at it. And when you take that leap of faith, there's a huge chance of fail. So that's one fear. Another fear is you know, it's one thing to just complain about all the changes that you can take or that should be made. It's another thing to have someone say, okay, I'm going to put you into a, a position where you can help implement and create those changes, and we're going to see the results. Do it. And then it's kind of a, oh, shoot, you know, this just got real. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's the other fear. And I think on any level of fear, fear is good because it says that you care. If you weren't scared of something, it meant that you're not even concerned with any of the possible outcomes, and that's a scary thing. So embrace fear because it's what will drive you. It's what will make you better every day. Now, do you have any tips for our listeners who are fearful of taking those next steps other than kind of like embracing it and just doing it? But what if that's just not enough? So can you elaborate a little bit more on if it's not enough? Sure. So take, for example, Joe. He's he's scared of advancing in his career because it's a huge risk, and he knows he needs to embrace that fear. And he's really, really trying, but it's it's just not 
quite enough to get him to really take those next steps. What are some tips that you could give to people who really just apprehensive and it's just might not be enough to get them going? I would say listen to your intuition because there's a difference between fear of just the unknown of, you know, what if I don't do a great job? What if they don't like me? What if, you know, I don't have enough time or, or the metrics that I'm being measured on are you know fair or realistic? And then there's intuition saying, this is not right for you. And I think one of the biggest things that people need to remember is a step up doesn't mean a step better. So if you love what you do, if you love what you're working towards, your the, the excitement that you'll have when someone talks about the opportunity and the position available or what you could be involved with, that excitement will override your fear. Now, if you're not excited and you the fear is, and, and so the, the negatives far outweigh the excitement of what you'll get out of it, and it's usually an emotional happiness that comes with it because, let's be honest, we're already at you know a successful monetary level, mm-hmm. then I'd say listen to your intuition and don't do it because just because there's a promotion available doesn't mean that it's right for you and doesn't mean that you should take it. What's best for your career may be to actually completely switch and head off into, you know, a different direction. But as long as it's a step up in the overall big picture, then I'd say, listen, you know, listen to do what you love. Listen to what your intuition tells you. If the excitement, if, if you get so excited that you're bouncing around and you want to text everyone or call people after, you know, the interview and, and you're just floating around for the rest of the day, high-fiving random strangers, then, then that means get over your fear and just do it because mistakes happen. Mistakes are good because you learn from them. Um, the only way to get better are to make those mistakes. And it is so worth it to jump into something that's new and scary and different and to look back years later and go, wow. I remember when I was scared to just start this, um, you know, to give the readers, you know, a little bit of a personal story. My very first business to business sales job was, you know, I worked at BB clothing store for a year. I decided I loved sales. I hate walking around in four inch stilettos <laughs> on marble floor for eight hours a day, but I wanted to do something in sales. So I, you know, got an interview with this company. I got, you know, a great manager that believed in, you know, getting the intangibles hired versus the experience. And she took a risk and she hired me. Mm-hmm. I was so excited that as soon as I signed my papers, I had about three days, you know, before I had to go to training. I laid in my bed for about two days straight. You know, I got up to go to the gym and to go to the bathroom and, you know, that stuff. Yeah. But I laid in my bed for two days straight thinking, what did I get myself into? Oh, what are my you doing? God. You don't know anything about this? Like, right. you're an idiot. You just convinced someone that you could do a job you probably can't do. And so I did that for about two days. And then I got up. I went to training. I came back. And then about a year later, I was one of the top reps in that company. So fear is good. Just, you know, take time to freak out and then get over it and move on. <laughs> All right. So how do you th- see Golden Handcuffs kind of evolving in the future as different generations move up and move higher up into the corporate world? Do you think it's something that's going to really stick around and become more prevalent? Or is it just kind of on an individual basis? Here's what I've noticed about the millennials, because there's a lot of controversy, you know, back and forth about, you know, whether the millennials are going to be a good generation, whether they're going to set us back in advancement. Um, here's what I like about the millennials. I think that golden handcuffs are going to disappear. 
And the reason being is what I've observed is, you know, my generation and especially my parents' generation and then probably the generation between, you know, myself and my parents, you know, we, we were raised, you know, you went to school, you got an education, you know, depending on your background, and, and then you got a job. Mm-hmm. And most people, even at my generation level, most people weren't told to get a job that you love. They were told to get a job that pays well and that's secure. Right. And I was blessed with amazing parents that always said, we'll give you the time, we'll support you if you want to live at home, do what you love, because that's the only way you'll be successful. And so I was blessed with that. Not everyone was. What I observe with the millennials is they're, they're not willing to do a job just because it's secure and it pays the bills. They want to do something they love. And I think that mentality is what's going to define the future and really reduce the prevalence that we see of golden handcuffs because the millennials, they'll wait and they'll figure it out. And when they do, oh man, look out because the technology savvy that they have and, you know, the passion and the refusal to do something simply because people said you need to find a job that pays you something, I think it's going to be pretty amazing. I'm excited for the future. Well, that sounds fantastic. But unfortunately, our time is coming to a close today on Employment Notebook. So I just want to thank Marnie for joining us and sharing her expert advice. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute honor. Well, thank you. And to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I'll see you next time.